Yo, this is Pastor Tito here, and this is the Revolutionary Podcast. The heart behind the label revolutionary is to continue to find ways in which we can revolve our life around Christ so that he can do something revolutionary in us and through us dramatically. And so there's a story that we're going to look at today in the book of Acts where it's a very short story as one person is quickly introduced and before you know it, he's gone. And his short story has had a lasting impact in the world. Why? Because Christ was at the center of his heart and being. That's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for you. So let's look at the scriptures and examine his story. We are going to look at an individual whose story is very uh, told, you know, quickly. All right. And his name is Stephen. And we're going to look at Stephen's introduction today. And so if you're following with us, we're going to be really starting in Acts chapter 7. So if you got your Bibles online or everybody, you can go to Acts 7. And that's where we're going to look at. But there's a, a few uh, other verses that I want to kind of fly over to kind of help us to be able to track and see. Uh, not only the importance of that story, but just really connecting all of the dots. And so, so far, as we're looking, the people of God, the, the Christian church has been esteemed by the people. It's a verse that is said a few times. And what esteemed mean is that, yo, people are being impacted, influenced. They're amazed at what God is doing through this church, which at this point in our study of Acts is at about 30 or some, some theologians believe maybe 30,000, 40,000 people. That's what's making up the church at this moment. And so the, uh, when it says that the people esteemed the church, it's because they were having a positive impact. They were amazed at what God was doing through these people. But not only were the people being esteemed, well, the people esteemed the Christians, but the Jewish religious leaders, they were jealous of the Christians. Actually, it was a word that it said they were jealous because why? They were losing all of their significance, their power. They were literally being kind of uh, thwarted by just a bunch of fishermen and nobodies and large numbers of priests. The scripture says in Acts this moment, large numbers of priests were believing. They were abandoning the ranks, jumping ship and really believing in Christ and being saved for the first time. But the, those that were very hard hearted, they've stayed and they remained persistent and adamant that this was wrong, that they were wrong, well, the, the Christians were wrong, that they were right. And throughout all this time, we've seen them, um, we've seen their, what's they call their patience, waning thin. And so the Jewish, really, you know, we've seen a couple of times that how many times the believers have been imprisoned, right? They, they arrested them. Why? What was their crime? For, it, was, it wasn't healing or doing good. Their crime was saying the name of Jesus. And they were saying that it's all because of Jesus, that Jesus rose from the dead. He's the Messiah. And so they're all doing this and they're continuing. And so they imprison the believers. They threaten them. They say, stop doing this or else. And they were like, 
Mm. Oh, well, and they kept going. They kept doing it. And in, there's a per portion that we're not going to read today. But in Acts 5, after, I believe, verse 12, they're imprisoned again because the apostles won't stop. They won't stop. They got the name of Jesus on their lips at all times. And so they imprison them and threaten them again. And they had him in prison. Cool, quick story. An angel comes, actually breaks out um, Peter and some of the apostles, breaks them out of jail. And that was a pretty cool story. And where, where do you think the apostles did when they got out of jail? They went back to doing what got them in jail to begin with. And man, they were some rebels out there. And so they kept on going. They were like, what are they doing? I thought they were in jail. Get them again. They rounded them back up, brought them back, started talking, threatening them again. And it was like, bro, we are not going to listen to you. We, uh, should we listen to God or you know it's better that we obey God and not man? So they got beat this time. Those apostles, it wasn't verbal threats because they were saying, it's like a parent. You ever said, listen, um, I'm going to count to three. One, two, right? And then they finally get there. Well, that's it. They had enough. So they had the apostles beaten and then released. And to the shock of maybe the reader, if you read that section, it says that they ran away, not like, yo, we got to think about this. I don't know if I want to. No, they ran singing and jumping and being grateful that they had the honor to suffer for the sake and cause of the name of Jesus. I, I would hope that would be my response. Let me be real. I would hope that would be all of our response to be deemed honor. What a, what a worthy you know, sense of that would be to do that. And so they continue on. And, and now it, it gets a little tense because you can see now things are escalating. It went from verbal threats to now a physical threat. And what do the apostles do after with their bumps and their bruises? They went back and kept doing what and the rest of the church was doing that as well. And so Stephen, which is the one that we're going to look at today. He gets introduced quickly. He's labeled as a man that is full of grace and the Holy Spirit. A young man that he was chosen for a specific task. And this is in chapter 6 where uh, the believers are having trouble dis dispersing all of the funds. Remember, there are about 30,000, 40,000 people in this church now. And so there are some group, the Hellenistic uh, believers, Hellenistic Jews, that were being overlooked. And they weren't, you know... They needed help and they weren't being helped. And that phrase, Hellenistic, is important. It's uh, just kind of Greek culture. So these are Jews who lived in with a Greek kind of lifestyle. So it's like a hybrid, multiculture kind of a person. So a Hellenistic Jew is a multiculture. That, that's going to matter in a minute. And so Stephen was chosen to be one of the seven. He was named first, which shows, yo, this guy was, man, there was something on his life. And he had this desire to just talk to others about Jesus. And he was a Hellenistic Jew. So what he did was he went to the synagogues where all the Hellenistic Jews were. He was like, yo, I know them. They're my people. Let me talk to them. Let me talk to them about Jesus. I got this. And so he would go and the spirit would give him so many words that literally the guys, they could not refute what he was saying. Now, he's not debating them like, all right, guys, you ready? Wait for me. I'm going to drop something on you now. He wasn't arrogant at all. He was literally just trying to say, guys, you think this is what the scripture says, but no, let me just tell you, let me tell you about Jesus. Like it was just his heart. He wanted to see things made right in them. He wasn't trying to win an argument. Yeah, y'all feel me on that? So Christians, let me, buy, let me just help you on that. When you want to talk about Jesus, it's not about, you're not going to win a soul if you try to win the argument. Yeah. So be careful. Okay, there we go. I'm going to move on. So. He goes and they're refused. They can't. I mean, this guy is one thing after another. And he's just poking holes pop, 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 into their whole theology. They don't know what to do. They get frustrated. So they snitch. 
and they say that he said something blasphemous, meaning something that is horrible against, the, against God, against the scriptures. So now he gets arrested and he's brought before the same people that Peter and John, all those guys have been seeing. Now here's a, I could, I could imagine their frustration. You'd be like, another one, man, who's this guy now? Who's this guy? Another one here. What is the issue? What's the problem? And they said, oh, he said this, 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 this. And so he says, all right, man, what do you have to say for yourself? I wonder what you would do. You know, first off, they lied about his character. They lied about what he said. So he could have easily said, listen, man, they're lying. He could have easily done that. But instead, he launches into the longest recorded sermon in the book of Acts. So I want to challenge you to read it in its entirety. It's Acts chapter 7. It starts on verse 1, and we're going to go to the ending. We are going to read his ending today. And so he launches into the longest sermon. And in it, he kind of gives a history lesson about the Jewish people. So if, if some of you guys aren't, aren't used to it, you're like, all right, whatever, why? This doesn't make sense, I guess. But he, he literally goes and does the highlights of almost all the Old Testament. Really going from Abraham and then to, Josh, to Joseph and the, the whole thing with the Exodus and then Moses and then the land and then the conquering the land, Joshua, the temple, the establishment, all these things. Now, he actually, in the whole sermon, he touches three of the Jewish people's sacred cows. The three things that they held on to the most. It was the land, the law, and there was one thing that I forgot. I can't believe I forgot it. All right, so it was the land. The law and the temple. There it is. Okay. It was the land, the law, and the temple. Because these Jews believed we have the promised land, and we have the law from God, and we have the temple of God. What other nation out there has those three? We have the land of God, the law of God, and the temple of God. We must be special. God's hand is on us. We are chosen, and this is an amazing thing. We have God's blessing because we have these three things. And Stephen's sermon, and remember, who's he talking to? He's talking to the religious people who know those stories better than anyone else. And so here's another man lecturing these people who are apparently the experts. And what he says is, in his sermon pretty much is, listen, Abraham didn't have the land, he didn't have the law, and he didn't have the temple. But God blessed him by faith alone. That was really the point he was trying to make. The people of Israel were not, they were in Egypt, and God's hand was still on them when he sent Moses. They were blessed with freedom. They didn't have the land. They didn't have the law. They didn't have the temple. And he would show elements of that, and then pretty much showing the fact that even with all those three things, you know our history, how our people were rebellious, constantly rejecting God. So just because we had these three things doesn't mean that we're special and that there's something on us. It's all external. But all of those three things are meant to point to something closer, something deeper. That, that's, that, he's not saying those things in the sermon. That's what he's implying, okay? Because there's a lot of Jewish culture there that you have to study to get. But that's what he's implying. He's trying to help these people understand you are not saved. The, just because you have these three things doesn't mean you're saved. And we can pull that to today. Just because you got church attendance, a Bible under your arm... You know, and, and uh, God bless you on your lips doesn't mean you're saved. It's all external. It's all of those things should point to something internal. And so he goes and he's lecturing these experts. They must be so. I, and I, I, I think I'm, a, I'm positively assuming this. You're going to see why in a minute. They must be so annoyed. Uh, they must be so annoyed with these people. And he's not just Peter. Here's some other dude they don't know. And here is how Stephen ends his sermon. 
This is what we're going to read today. So at the end, he tells him, he goes, and now here's the point, here's the, the, the info, and he goes in Acts 7, 51, and this is how he ends his sermon. Ready? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want me to talk to y'all like that? Let me see. I don't know. I, I'll talk to y'all like that if y'all want to. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did. That's what the story was talking about. You do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? Which was all of them. It was a hypothetical question. They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. Meaning, you, your ancestors killed the prophets saying the Messiah was going to come. Well, you guys actually did it. You killed the prophet. You killed the Messiah, Jesus. You received the law under the direction of angels, and yet you have not kept it. He is speaking to the keepers of the law and saying, just because you know it doesn't mean anything. You are not keeping it. You're wasting your time. And I love that. It's like, man, you stiff neck, sir. I'm like, Guys, listen, I want you to know he's not speaking arrogantly. He is speaking out of love and frustration. He'll say, guys, how do you, out of all people, not get it? Stop being so stubborn. We all know some stubborn people, you know. And so, but that's what he's saying. And so with this, here's the thing. All of those things, what he's trying to communicate, none of these external things matter because you are resisting the God on the inside. All of these things, the land, the promised land, was supposed to point to something, not just a, a geography thing, but it was supposed to point to an eternal promise where God one day will bring us into the promised land of eternity. That was a, it was just something temporary to point to something futuristic. It mattered and still matters today. The law of God was to show them how imperfect they are, that they can't keep the law of God. Guys, and, and I love this. Have you, have you ever tried to create your own uh, schedule for the day? Right? You ever tried to create your own schedule for the day? Today, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to wake up early today. And how many times have you not obeyed your own rules? Right? How many times have you been like, this is what I'm going to do today? And you don't. Listen, if you went to create your own Ten Commandments for yourself for life, you couldn't even keep your own rules and laws. You couldn't even do it. Why? Because it just shows something in there. And the law was meant to point us to not only a perfect God, but it shows us imperfect people. And the law was also meant to show them that there was a sacrificial system for the forgiveness of your sins. And it was going to point to Jesus, that Jesus would be the once and for all sacrifice for that. And then the temple was also this, it was a body. It was more than just a building. It was supposed to be a body, a family and Peter and all of them talk about how you and I, guys, as believers, we are the temple. Rocks and pillars, living stones that God is building. And so he's trying to say, guys, you have it all on the outside, but it's not on the inside and it's not enough. It's not enough to cleanse you from the stench of your sins. That's what he's trying to, I mean, very controversial, telling them because these guys were the ones that thought they were the blessed, they were the most, that God would honor them. He's saying, no, you guys are the worst. Just because it's on the outside doesn't mean it's, on, it's working its way on the inside. You know, that's like some of us, I know we have had experiences with individuals probably inside of your home when you like, what's the smell? I'm like, is that you? Right? And so you, we've all walked around that person that just be stinky, right? And so what should that person do? 
I mean, if, if your armpits already smell like onions, what's deodorant going to do now? Nothing, right? And so now it's just going to smell like, you know, onions grown on the mountain. Like, this is it. It's not, no, it doesn't work. Like, if, you, if you're dirty, if you got B.O., bro, you, you can't just put perfume on that stuff. You know what I'm saying? You just can't put external stuff on that. It's not enough. We've all done that, right? And the worst are, you know, bro, middle school boys are undefeated, all right, against every deodorant that's out there, still to this day. And so deodorant's not going to do it. Cologne's not going to do it. What do you need to do? You need to take a shower, right? It needs to penetrate. You got to really get up in there. Well, in essence, he's like saying, yo, bro, you smell, I still smell your sin. I still smell your sin. You think just because you could put the law in the land and all this on the outside, you, no, it can't wash away the stench of your sin. It is only the blood of Jesus that can do it. And you killed the guy. And I'm here to tell you the same thing. It's something for us as well today. It's like, look, just, you know, things aren't always going to look on the outside. And this is right. We all put that, that all this effort on the facade, right, of either pretending or being or we got to put that face on. We got to put that smile. We got we to gotta do this. And, and we don't have anybody to just be like, yo, y'all got to help me, man. Yo, my life stinks. My marriage stinks. My this stinks. Yo, can you help me? Can you pray? Like, that's an important thing to be honest in that way because it's not about all up here it's not about just here it's the fact that it really gets in here and so that's what he's trying to communicate to them so how do you think these people responded to being called stiff-necked uncircumcised hearts and minds individuals which that one's i'm not gonna go there there's kids in the room all right i'm gonna move on and so if you want to know i'll tell you later all right how did they respond to this message well let's find out here's we did uh, Stephen's introduction, Stephen's sermon, and now let's look at his execution. When they heard these things, those religious leaders, they were enraged, gnashing their teeth. I mean, you got to be upset if you are grinding teeth in this way, all right? So you can see they've had it. Enough. They've had enough of this. They've had enough of being lectured by some nobodies telling them these things. When they've heard these things, they were enraged. They gnashed their teeth at him. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God. The Holy Spirit opened up his eyes to a spiritual reality. He's seeing a vision here. And he says he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look. I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. He sees it. They yelled at the top of their voices because that statement is to say that God, Jesus was not just a man. He is God. He is Messiah. He is Lord. So these guys, it's, oh my gosh. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears. Listen to that. And together they rushed, they ran bum rushed Stephen. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments, their jackets at the foot of a young man named Saul, who we will see very soon becomes the apostle Paul. Saul is standing there in agreement, a co-conspirator to this man's murder. And so in standing in agreement, say while they were all stoning Stephen to death, literally just pummeling him with rocks until he died. He called out while he is taking these stones to the face, to the body, to his head. He called out, Lord, he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried with a loud voice and says, Lord, do not hold these sins against them. And after he said this, 
he fell asleep. He didn't defend himself. He just st he stood there. He realized he kind of knew some, this was, this was going to happen. And I love that phrase, he fell asleep. That's a term that Christians would use for generations. Where when because of Jesus, when we look at death, we don't look at death the same. Death is nothing but falling asleep. Because why? Falling asleep implies what? You're going to get back up. You're going to wake up. And how could they say he's going to fall asleep? And believers, when we die, we fall. Well, we all fall asleep. We're all going to wake up with one reality or another. And so why do we fall asleep? Well, because Jesus fell asleep and three days later woke up. And because he did, when we die in faith in him, we're going to wake up to a beautiful eternal reality. And that's what we get. And so that's where he falls asleep. But you can see the story. That's cool. I love that. So think about that every time you go to sleep. I'm like, one day you are going to sleep. And you're not going to wake up to the morning. You're going to wake up to see your Messiah one day. That's going to be really cool. So look at this. What do we see here? So, man, th there was, first off, a lot going on. And there's so much that you can see they've had it. They've had their, they've had enough of being lectured to. It's just been escalating, escalating, escalating. And now they actually killed a man. There was no formal judgment. There was, this was the ruling authority. They broke their own laws because they had laws for, tr uh, for trying an individual. They broke them all and killed this man out of frustration, out of anger, out of rage. And you got to, don't lose sight of the fact that we see Jesus. This is the first time Jesus pops up since his ascension. And this is the only time that we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Paul later, the guy named Saul, he becomes Paul. We're going to talk about his story in a couple weeks. He, wake, he, he gets this vision and understanding of reality that Christ is seated at the right hand. Now, if you're seated, you're sitting down, it's because you are enthroned, right? You are in charge. But here, he's standing. It's interesting. Why is he standing? Because here's a bunch of people standing around Stephen. And they are, what are they doing? Standing, accusing Stephen of being wrong. And Jesus stands and the Holy Spirit gave him vision to say, I'm standing with you. I stand to accuse your accusers. I stand to defend you. That is our God. That is God. And later in the book of Revelations, John gets this revelation and sees that the devil is standing before the throne of God right now, accusing believers. He is accusing you right now. Your name is on his lips. If you're a Christian, he's like, oh, God, they're this and they're that. He is accusing them of lies. But see, he's not alone because Jesus stands in defense of us before the Father and say, no, they are mine. They are forgiven. They are, this is all a lie. He stands. That's where Jesus is. So that's an uh, a beautiful realization of just who Jesus is at this moment. And that should encourage us as well for something. Because you can ask yourself, all right, there's a lot of questions that come up. Why did God send an angel to break out the apostles, but he doesn't send anybody to help Stephen? That's a good question. Think about that. Why? He sent a, the, they were in jail, and he broke them out. He sent an angel to break them out. But he sends no aid to Stephen? Well, that's, that's your assumption. And I was like, do you really think he wasn't there? Because obviously we, we did. We saw that he was there. The Holy Spirit opened up his eyes to see that beautiful vision of Jesus, to encourage him. As Jesus is standing, he says, oh, I'm, I'm going to stand for you too, Jesus. Like he sees that response. And that, that vision gave him courage. And it also gave him courage in this way because, guys, I'm sure you all would love 
I'm sure you all would love a vision like that, right? Where it's like, God, I just want to see Jesus too. I want to see Jesus. And guys, that's not something that happens like that. I'm just going to be real. It doesn't happen on a daily. It doesn't happen on a normal. It's not something we should expect. But this vision gives us something, a true reality that even though here's everybody, what are all of his accusers doing? They're yelling. They're screaming. They're this, they're that. And what is Jesus doing? He's standing. Silent, but standing. You don't hear Jesus. You hear everything else. All you see is a circumstance. But he was given this eternal perspective to see God is present. Though I don't hear him, he is there. Though he may be silent, he is not still. And that's a beautiful reality, guys, for us. When, when we're seeing just all of these things happening in our life, we can be encouraged to know that God is present. God is present despite everything that is happening. And he can give us the grace and the courage, the strength to do whatever we need to do in that moment. But guys, he's there. And I know there's times that he, he doesn't feel like he's there. I know that there's times that you wonder if he is. But this is another beautiful example like saying, listen, just because you don't see him doesn't mean he's not there. Just because he feels far doesn't mean he is. All right? And he is still present despite the presence of difficulties in your life. Despite. And there's one other cool reality that I'm going to save for later with this little moment. And I'm going to end with that. And so that's an encouragement thing for us. But here, this is also an important moment in our story as we're studying Acts. See, Stephen is a turning point in the whole story of Acts. He, it, Stephen is a turning point in history. This moment was a big deal. And this is something for us as well to understand. So here, who's, who's Stephen again? What's happening? So obviously we see this is a heroic tragedy, right? Have you ever seen somebody like, like a soldier go and they give their life and they lay down their life for something or someone? And, and we celebrate people like that, right? Who make those sacrifices. Well, Stephen was somebody who was made and gave up that sacrifice. The first Christian martyr ever to be killed because of the name of Jesus was Stephen. First one. And so his story is, is amazing because it is a, not only a heroic tragedy, but it's a turning point. Up until this point, everything has been going great with the church. Things have been awesome, awesome, awesome. But the religious leaders, it's been escalating. Tensions have been escalating. From this point on, upon Stephen's death, the religious leaders have had it. And you're going to see here now, uh, I mean, horrific persecution is unleashed on the church. So there's, this is a turning point when it comes to the introduction of persecution. And somebody be asked, I'm like, all right, this is kind of weird. This is process as a pastor. I'm literally telling you to sign up for a team uh, and you're going to be a target. Can you think about that? Like, I'm telling you, hey, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus and you're going to be persecuted. And that sounds like fun. Let's sign up. All right. That sounds like a weird ask, right? It sounds like a weird ask. But we all sign up for things all the time and put ourselves at risk. We all do it. I mean, athletes, don't professional athletes put their body at risk to go through tortures for a short amount of time? There's some football players that, you know, end up retiring in their 30s and have a back and a body like if they're in their 60s. I mean, they sacrifice their bodies for a trophy. Soldiers line up and they sign up for, to fight in war. Why? Knowing that they're going to put their life at risk, but we celebrate those things, don't we? Well, guys, the reason why there is persecution upon the church is because there's an enemy out there who doesn't want to lose any more souls. And if we're willing to sign up for things and we put our health at risk and our bodies and even our lives at risk, what greater cause is there than the cause of Christ? Yeah. Can you name me one? It's better than a trophy, even better than military victory. 
It's Christ. It's nothing better. There's nothing better. So I'm not going to hear to tell you, like, life, you know, if you believe in Jesus, everything is going to go great. No. I'm going to tell you now, though, you believe in Jesus despite all the stuff around you. Oh, you're not going to regret a second of it when you see what God is doing and does in and through you despite everything around you. Amen. It's worth it. Amen. It's worth it. It's worth it. And so here, it's not only it's a turning point to the persecution of the church, but this is interesting as well. It's a turning point in that blesses us. Up until this point, the only ones that are getting saved are Jews. The only ones that are getting saved, 30, 40,000 people, all Jews, only ones. Who was Stephen talking to? Hellenistic Jews, Jews that lived like a Greek culture, Greek lifestyle, right? And from this point on, we see this transition from Peter and the Jews to now Paul and the non-Jews, the Gentile world. Stephen was the first one to start branching out into that would lead the gospel to reach non-Jews like you and me. And it was a turning point to that. And again, who was standing there watching him in approval of his murder? Saul, who would be Paul. And here he is hearing the name of Jesus. Here he's hearing, he's heard this sermon, and here he sees Stephen. Well, it's amazing that the very man that Paul stood there holding everybody's jacket so they could kill, he picked up where Stephen left off. That's what the Spirit did. And he picked up where he left off and took it to the nations, meaning us. And that's a really cool thing. It's an amazing turning point there. And really, when we look at his story and we look at that one point, right? Did you see how it was described? His face. His face said, shined like an angel. All right? And meaning it just had this sense of calm, confidence. Uh, he had a smile on his face. He was happy. There was joy in his face. How? In the midst of all of this craziness, how is he so calm and confident? It's because of who he, he knew, he believed and saw, and it's Jesus. And to me, I was looking at this, and this gives us a great kind of like bottom line to walk through. It says, listen, we need to learn to be grateful knowing that our God is faithful. Amen. And see, Stephen was able to stand there because he saw as he's defending, he's defending Jesus, defending the truth, and he got a vision of Jesus standing and saying, yeah, I'm defending you. I know, I know your heart. I know you're right. And he stood there in accusing his enemies and standing and defending them. And so that gave him the courage. It gave him that gratitude. That's why his face shined. Like he was so grateful to know that my God is faithful. And that's even the whole sermon. If you think about it, the whole sermon, what he was saying is, remember he said you stiff-necked, uncircumcised, right? Uh, stiff-necked is, y'all get it, right? If you've ever had to, um, you know, you ever had to talk to one of your kids? Remember, he said, look, look at me. Look, look at me, right? They don't want to, right? You ever had to do one of those things and you just like, nah, bro, I don't want to look. I don't like that's stiff neck. Like you don't refuse, you're pushing. And so what he's saying is like you stiff neck people. The Holy Spirit is trying to show you, look at Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's, and they're like, no, I no. It's a refusal of the Holy Spirit showing them Jesus. And here with that, that whole sermon, he pretty much said, guys, Abraham, Joshua, these guys, all of these guys, we all know they were perfect. And yet despite the rebellion and the fact that they were inconsistent, how many prophets did we kill? All of them. How many prophets did we kill? All of them. How many times did we turn from God over and over again? And yet for every prophet we killed, God sent another and another and another. And every time we rebelled and we came back to God, how many times did he forgive us? Again and again. And again, and so their story is a tragic but a beautiful story of seeing God's 
faithfulness despite their faults and failures. And guys, that's our story too. That's our story too. How many of us, how many of us for years, you don't even know how long you've been resisting the Holy Spirit. And there's God's loving hand saying, I'm not going to give up on you yet. I'm not giving up on you yet. Aren't you glad that some of you, you are hard-headed individuals. Aren't you glad that God didn't bail you and just, I forget it, man. All right, that's what you get. All right. Aren't you glad that he didn't give up on you? Though you resisted him, he was persistent in his approach to you to help you to see and open up your eyes. And then how many times have we ever fought and failed? And yet there's God's faithfulness. See, our faith, faithlessness does not cancel out his faithfulness. And what should that lead us to be, guys? What should that lead us to be? Grateful, right? Grateful because when God captures your affections, your actions are going to follow. When he captures your affections, it should follow. And our affections should be a grateful heart for the God that we have. Where we aren't even patient with ourselves, right? We're not even patient with ourselves. And here he is, patiently, loving, and there, constantly. And so we see that in in Stephen's story, that vision, he said, my God is there. I am not abandoned. I am not alone. Jesus stands. And so I will too. He was grateful knowing that even in the face of death, what did he say in his final words? He said, Lord, receive my spirit. Why? Because he knew you will not abandon me. You are faithful. I trust you. Forgive them. See, look at that gratitude. That grateful heart led him on his last dying words to say, don't hold it against them. They don't know what they're doing. What does that sound like? Stephen's death mimics and mirrors Jesus' death a lot. And it was through his death that now countless of souls have been saved because now it entered in through the nations because of what God was going to do. And so what should this gratitude lead us to do? It needs, it needs us to lead us to do something. And I, I was looking at Stephen's story, and he reminds me of, an, uh, of a great evangelist back in the day. Some of y'all might not know him. It's okay. His name was William Carey. And William Carey is known famously for these words, expect great things, attempt great things. This was William Carey. He was somebody who was so enamored and grateful for the love of God that he just wanted to just live for him and say, I want to tell the world about Jesus, very much like Stephen. And Stephen and him have some similarities because, see, William Carey served decades in India. He served decades in India, laboring, loving the people, trying to pastor and communicate. He served almost 35 years and hardly any believers. Could you imagine? At one point, do you think like, I think I should quit? <laughs> or like, I think I should try a, do a different strategy. 35 years in, and I'm not really seeing anything, you know? But he was persistent. He knew what God wanted him to do, so he was faithful. Yo, this man translated the Bible into six Indian dialects. The entire Bible into six different Indian dialects and portions of the scripture in 29 others. This guy was a brain. All he did, this is what he did. He, he laid this establishment, died with very little fruit to his ministry. Guys, Stephen died. Stephen, we only know, he was defending, right? What was he doing? He was out there in the synagogues trying to argue and he was out there and he made this argument in front of the believers that we know of, Stephen didn't convert one person. Stephen had not one soul to put on his, the notch of his belt. But was Stephen's ministry a failure? No, see, it was a foundation. And it led to something else. 
William Carey's work 35 years in showed very little fruit. Was it a failure? No, because when he died, revival and reformation blew up throughout the whole nation of India. And it was done because of the decades of laboring that he did. He expected great things that God was going to do because he knows he's what? Faithful. And so he knows that God's faithfulness is going to lead me to live. And I love that he used the word attempt. Guys, that means try. How many times have we ever been hesitant to even attempt to talk or attempt to serve or attempt to do something great? Because, oh, but what if I fail or what if I this? But that's the beauty of his faithfulness, guys. Please lean in on that. Literally, our faithfulness, our faithlessness does not cancel out his faithfulness. You know what that means? That even in your attempts, when you fall and fail, the faithfulness of God fills in the gaps. Listen, I've done a lot. I have gotten a lot wrong in 12 years of being a pastor. But again, it's attempting, doing great. But I know and I have seen God's faithfulness sometimes work despite my failures or my gaps because it's in the attempt and you expect God, I'm gonna do my best, trust you with the rest. And that's what it should lead us to do because you never, never know. And so some of us, you may think, I'm like, all right, I'm grateful for God saving me, but I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with that because you're thinking too big. Maybe you're thinking of the nations when you should just be thinking about your neighbor. Can you start there? Start with your neighbor. That's it, because you know what's amazing about Stephen? Stephen was out there just sharing the love of Jesus and praying, talking, right? Stephen didn't know who Saul was. Stephen didn't know who Saul was going to be. He had no clue. Stephen was just out there just loving people. Just throwing out those seeds and trusting that God was going to, he was attempting something because he expected God to do something. And so sometimes we may think, guys, we, may, we think too big, but sometimes we should think small. And if it's small, think of Saul. Guys, you don't know, some of your parents, you don't know. You don't know what God can do through one of those. You may think, oh, maybe they're not listening. Some of you guys probably have friends. Some of you guys have neighbors. Some of you guys have people that are like, oh, I tell them about Jesus, but they're not listening. I tell them they're not listening. I tell them they're not listening. You tell me Saul wasn't listening? You couldn't tell for a while. You couldn't tell for a while. But that seed that was planted in his heart one day blew up when God encountered him in an amazing way. So I'm here to tell you guys, listen, don't, don't. Don't be so mean to use yourselves. You know, be patient with yourself. Keep loving, keep showing, keep guiding. You never know who's listening. You never know who's watching. God can take that and make something huge with that. And so this is where, again, that we got to learn. This is where our heart attitude should be. Stephen's story should remind us, listen, God is faithful. Even despite the difficulties, even when things don't seem to be going our way, what is he? faithful he has not abandoned us and so what should that lead us to feel grateful and if we're grateful then we are called to do a good work because we are grateful for that god he is faithful and this is that last i think i promised you i was gonna tell you something he's faithful he's never frustrated now there's elements in the scriptures where you see god sounds frustrated like angry and god has a holy anger yes he does but see he's never god is never frustrated in the sense that he can't get his job done. He's never like, oh, if it wasn't for these people, right? You ever been like that? I know that you're frustrated. You have people at your jobs, not like, oh, I'm, so, I'm so frustrated with them. I can't do my job because of them. I can't do this because of them. Or it's always somebody, right? I know sometimes my wife, and she, she talks about that. She, she cleans the house. I'm like, why bother? And the kid's two seconds later, bah, you know? And so there's, 
You're frustrated, right? We all have this sense of frustration when things don't go our way. Do you know that God has never been frustrated with things not going his way? Never once. But we saw the priests were a little different. Guys, what did, what did, what did Stephen see? He not, only saw Steve, uh, he not only saw Jesus standing, but what were all the people doing? Screaming, yelling, in rage, hands over their ears. They didn't want to hear anymore. And what were they doing? Running. You know that same word for run is the same word that Matthew uses to describe when Jesus rebukes and casts out the demons from the demoniac, this person that had legions of demons inside of him. He casts them out, puts them into these pigs, and the pigs run violently off to the cliff. What you saw with those priests, that was a demonic manifestation. The demons had had enough. They were like, the more we, 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 we insult them, the more we intimidate them, it's not working. We try to infiltrate them, it's not working. We, I mean, everybody is getting saved and we can't stop it. The enemy was so frustrated that their plans weren't working. And in fact, it looked like they were helping God, that they just lost it. And they just went and killed this man. That was a demonic manifestation. Stephen's death was. And that should encourage you so good, so well. Because you know what that is? That even demons, when they do difficulties and when they try to do things against you, they are so frustrated because everything that they do, they're actually helping God and execute his plan. And when he tries to come against you, it just drives you closer to Jesus. And so they are so frustrated. And God's just standing there with a smile on his face, watching these demons in their frustrated efforts, even in their attempt to thwart his plan, they're actually executing his plan because God got it like that. And that's why Paul says later on in Romans that for all of those who called are called by God, all things work together. Help me out. For good. All things work together for good. And so when you know that, even when the face of so many difficulties, where the enemy is trying to do something, you just know, bro, keep trying, because the more you do, the closer I'm going to get to Jesus. And why? Because this is that attitude that we should have, to be grateful, knowing that our God is faithful. He's not frustrated. His plan's going to happen. It's up to us to make sure we got the right perspective, that we remain faithful, we remain grateful in the midst of all of this, that we make sure that we continue to be grateful knowing, man, that God was faithful every time I resisted him, and yet he was persistent. That we should be grateful knowing that he has been faithful now as he's renewing us and helping us, helping us to be more like Jesus. We should be grateful knowing that he is faithful, that God in the end will restore all things to himself. And no matter what comes our way, God can make all of it work for his glory and for our good. And that should keep us to not just be grateful, but to live differently because God is faithful, meaning he will never forsake us, never abandon us. And that deserves praise and glory and honor forever. I pray that the Holy Spirit can open up your eyes in the way that he opened up Stephen's eyes to help you to see that there is nothing and no one like Jesus. That though you may not have that same vision, you can see through his word what he saw, that we have a God who is standing in authority, standing in our defense. And because he stands, we can stand. Because he lives, we live. 
And even despite our inconsistencies in following through, Christ remains faithful. I pray that you and I can all learn to revolve our thoughts and our hearts around the truth that our God is faithful. Because when we do, when we do, then the Lord can do so much again in us and through us, just like Stephen. I mean, to me, it's amazing that he did not know that there was a guy named Saul listening to his sermons, listening to his prayers, listening to his intercession. He had no clue that the Holy Spirit was going to reap such a harvest of souls through the life of Saul, who would become Paul. So I pray that again, you may revolve more of your heart and your life on Christ, on his faithfulness, knowing that he is good and he will never fail you nor forsake you.